Steve Mathis production. Hello, Pope fans. Keep using that M-A-T-T-H-E-S code at btosports.com. And be sure to click the Amazon banner on PulpMX.com for your non-moto purchases. Your support makes it possible for us to continue to deliver your moto fix, and we thank you. episode of the Steve Mathis Show, there is a high chance ability. You will either learn something a lot of people don't know. You are thinking yes. or make you say to yourself Dude, that's so funny. The bottom line is, this podcast serves as archival documentation of this interview. Welcome to the Racer X Podcast Show. Brought to you by BTOsports.com Hosted by Steve Mathis. Hey everybody, I know you've just finished listening to a whole bunch of uh, intro crap, but I just wanted to uh, put one more thing in there before we get to the show, and thank you everybody for listening. Hey, look, we all buy stuff from Amazon. I buy stuff, you buy stuff, we all buy stuff from Amazon, let's face it. So why don't you, the next time you're buying something from Amazon, go to pulpamex.com, find the Amazon banner there on the bottom right hand side, click to that, it'll take you to Amazon, and then you can place your order for whatever it is, either lube a baseball glove, or a car, whatever it is, then that way Pulpamex gets a little piece of that, and uh, we can keep on doing what we're doing. And I appreciate it. And so check it out on the link, and see you guys later. Welcome to the BTOsports.com RacerX podcast show. I'm your host, Steve Mathis, as usual. With me on the line is a, is a guy that's taking a little bit of time out of his busy, busy day to tell us about the Loretta Lynn's Amateur National Championships. It's the 30th year. And it's coming up in a week or two. So I thought, you know, I was thinking, I want to do one of these shows on this race. Who has been around that can tell me about this race? And there's only one man, Davey Coombs. What's up, Davey? Steve, how are you? I'm good. Thank you for doing this. I know you're busy. Uh, you got to. Uh, no, I'm, it's motocross, man. It's all <laughs> I do. And it's not busy. It's. Uh... I'm just in a fortunate enough position to, to get to think about it all the time and get to work at it all the time. Yeah, and uh, and uh, there's nobody better to talk about this race, I don't think, because your dad, Dave Coombs Sr., founded this thing. We're coming up on 30 years of Loretta Lynn's. And I guess, did you race in the beginning? Very, yeah, yes, I did. Very let first me, one. Okay. Let, me, let, me, let me clarify one thing. There was actually two founders of Loretta ah, Lynn's. Ah, okay. Um, my mom and dad would can be considered sort of one half of the team. Mm-hmm. And there was a gentleman named Paul Schlegel. And Paul Schlegel was a, a guy from Toledo, Ohio, who was famous for uh, a lot of uh, road riding and dirt track events. But he also did the Delta, Ohio, Interam and Trans AMA races and the Pontiac Silverdome Supercross. Oh, so okay. he was uh, a very good promoter in his own right. And um, he and my dad... 
had an idea at one point along the way of, of having sort of a, a standalone amateur national motocross championship that would take a lot of the guesswork out of what the AMA had at the time. And uh, this goes back to the, the mid-'70s. Uh, they used to have a standalone AMA motorcycle class national, and that was just for 100, 125, 250, and 500. No kids. Right. And then they'd have a youth national. And each year they'd move them around. And one year it might be in Pennsylvania, and the next year Baldwin, Kansas, then the next year Plymouth, California. And ironically, several national tracks, current national tracks, had those old amateur nationals, Redbud, uh, Spring Creek, mm-hmm. uh, the Dirt Diggers, and uh, High Point Raceway. And my, my brother and I raced, and, uh, you know, we were, we were decent. We, we had, you know, I was backed by uh, R&D Suzuki, and Timmy had a, a Yamaha ride, and then in 81 we both got on Team Green, and, you know, things started happening. Right. And right about that time is when my dad and Mr. Schlegel's idea kind of came to fruition, which was to have a standalone race on a totally neutral racetrack where no one would be a favorite and, and no one could go rent it and no one could go practice on it and no mm-hmm. one could go do anything. It would truly be just this, this one-off racetrack that determined the national champions every year. Yeah, it's, it's a really, really cool idea. Like you said, it, it, nobody can be there. So how did the AMA feel about – um, these guys starting up this race, trying to start up a race, uh, a one-time uh, amateur race. And how did that go? I mean, was it was well, it controversial? The, the, the AMA was the AMA was all for it. Oh, okay. The reason the reason was back then, the the real dominant regions for minicycle racing were you know of course uh, out west mm-hmm. with uh, people like Ron Hendrickson's NMA and Stu Peters of CMC. Uh, I mean, they, they had just these massive programs, and they didn't really need a national championship. The World Mini GP was already being organized. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ponca City was up and running. Down in Florida, they had the the mini the mini O's. That was Bill West. And even in New England, they had the uh, this thing called NEMA, if I'm not mistaken. And, and okay. mid mid Atlantic had MAMA and all these different <laughs> right. programs. But uh, the AMA was kind of you know never really able to get its footing. Ah, okay. And um, we went to, you know, and, and, and this is a story I'm sure, you know, some of your listeners have heard before, but we went to Ponca City in 1981 uh, and just didn't have a very good time. And it was not any fault of the system or anything. Uh, it was just me and my brother didn't do very well. And little things went wrong. Like, we, we'd never been to Ponca, so we didn't know mm-hmm. where to park. We didn't know the track. Uh, lots of... Uh, little hiccups along the way uh-huh. and it was it was a very frustrating experience based mostly on the fact we got our asses kicked <laughs> yes, but uh on the way home you know it's a 24-hour drive from morgantown morgantown west virginia to ponca city oklahoma okay and on the way back dad you know had his thinking cap on and and, and paul schlegel had talked to him before you know about the um about the idea of having this this race and suggested to my dad that he stop at Loretta Lynn's ranch because Paul had been there before for what they used to call a Vetter rally. That's these guys that rode certain kind of road bikes would gather and camp out. And, right. and he thought it'd make a, a pretty neat place. It was centrally located. Mm-hmm. Uh, it had it was a campground. There were things for people to do, and and it all kind of went into the philosophy that 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 they had, which was 
that this just can't be just a race. It's got to be a family vacation because for every kid that races, there's two or three other kids in that family who don't race, mm-hmm. and they're stuck going to some motocross track in the middle of Tennessee or Texas or whatever and really nothing to do. And, you know, given what our financial situation was at the time, we didn't, we didn't have a dime. And we barely, that's why we went to Ponca City one time. We, we couldn't afford it. Yeah. And, 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 you know, Dad wanted it, you know, so that you would go to a place that there, there, no one would know the track because it was natural or, or, or off limits every year. Yeah. There was things to do when you weren't racing. Uh, you would already be qualified when you got there because that was another thing that was just a, it was a nightmare to go to, to, go to some of these other races. And, and you still have to do it sometimes and qualify for that main event. Right. That, that's a frightening proposition, especially if you're driving across the country. And, Good point. You know, yeah. he, made, he made it so that uh, once you were there, that's it. You're there. You don't go do any runoffs or LCQ or, or anything. And it all just kind of added up to a different motocross experience. And when they finally kicked it off in 1982, uh, as serendipity would have it, that was right when the real Team Green kind of kicked off. Mm-hmm. And uh, one thing my dad was was a very uh, astute um business person uh, he didn't have a lot of money but he knew how to to do some horse trading and he went to the guy that was running team green at the outset a guy named J- dave jordan mm-hmm. and said i'll make you a deal you uh you make all your riders come to loretta's so truly be a national championship uh and and we'll make you the title sponsor and uh it didn't quite work out that way but dave did ask all of his riders to be there and to this day, 30 years later, Team Green still has the same spot, yeah. which is right right behind the starting gate. And people like uh, Red Bull and uh, Aeronautics and even some of the other OEMs over the years have, have stepped up more. But Dad said, hey, you dance with the one that got you here. Yeah. And Team Green always goes behind the starting gate. Okay, so back up a little bit. You st- okay. you, did you, you stopped at Loretta's on the way home? Or, yes, we stopped. And okay. We we drove about twelve hours. Yeah. We got there about oh, it had to been four o'clock in the morning, and we were all in the van. It was this yellow <laughs> Dodge Kidnapper van. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and it was and it had, it had four bikes in the back. I mean, it was it right. was we we were like Doug Henry and John Dowd going to Hangtown in '91. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, only we didn't do that well. <laughs> and um, we stopped and and we all stopped in the front of the van and. When we woke up, Dad was out jogging. He, he was already, uh, you know, he was a racer himself, and yeah. he was already running around thinking about it. And he found the area, and but you know, this is pre-cell phone, pre-internet, yeah. pre-all that. He just walked down to the front office and knocked on the door, and then the guy that was the branch manager at the time opened up and said, "Hey, you know," he said, "I got this idea. I want to hold a motorcycle race." And uh, Mr. Sanders said, uh, "We we we tried that before with the, these road riders and." They don't bring no kids. They don't bring uh, any uh, campers. They're just, mm-hmm. you know, people riding these big cruiser bikes. Yeah. And Dad said, "I'll fill this. I'll fill this place up if you give me a chance." Yeah. So they, they got Mooney, who was Loretta's husband. He came over, and yeah, pretty like, soon, it, like I they, they came up, came up with a deal. I, I, to me, this is the part that blows me away. I've only been there one time in '98. I don't get how your dad convinced this this park, right? I mean, this campground to have a motorcycle track on their property. Um, well, I, I think that, that, that again, I think it, it speaks volumes to uh, my dad was a very yeah. persuasive person, but it really was a good idea. You know, and, yeah. and, and this is, 
you know, again, this is 1981, you know, mid-August. This is right at sort of the height of Loretta Lynn's fame or, yeah. or coming fame. Coal because Miner's the, Daughter the was out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Coal Miner's Daughter was just uh, getting ready to be released and, uh, and and they had this massive property that they had they had, they had opened, but it really wasn't getting the the traffic they wanted because it was just a little too far from Nashville, mm-hmm. and uh, you know like seventy miles is not exactly uh, hey let's let's stop by Loretta's you right, know if right. you're going to the the Grand Ole Opry or whatever, so they were looking to make it a destination of, of sorts, and 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 Dad's idea and Mr. Schlegel's idea really resonated with them, and they gave it a shot and. Uh, that was 1982, and this will be our 30th year. So, did you uh, did you leave the ranch that day, thinking you had a race? I mean, was it? Oh no, no, no! no. Okay. I, I we we didn't know that much because okay. we slept the whole night while Dad was driving. Yeah, yeah. But once he once we left, and we did spend the better part of that day there. Yep. Uh, once we left, man, he had his notebook out, and he always everywhere he went, Dad had a notebook and, and kept notes and kept ideas, and he and Mom would talk back and forth. And you know, there was no satellite radio, there's no TV in the van, there's yeah. no, you know, we we just we'd all kind of huddle around the motor in the front of the van and just talk. And he would come up with ideas, or we would come up with ideas, and and uh, you know, mind you, this was my sister Carrie who now runs MX Sports Professional Racing, my brother Tim. Uh, who had a very long professional career himself, and myself plus my mom, yeah. and then yeah, yeah, my dad in there, and I, I think that's a pretty good bench racing team for yeah. a twenty-four hour drive to Oklahoma. So at some point, your dad had to go back and lay out the track. Did you ever hand in this? Not, not at all. Not he, at all. He went and did it, um, and, and this goes back to why he wanted a neutral track. Mm-hmm. Anyone who's been to Loretta Lynn's, if you went to Loretta Lynn's. Right now, if someone drove out there with a, a camera today and mm-hmm. put it on YouTube tonight, there's grass on the track. Mm-hmm. No one rides it. You can't rent it. You can't. You can't sneak on it. Well, I mean, I'm sure someone could sneak on it, but yeah. Um, my dad was so worried when we were young, you know, Timmy and I, that people would point at us and say that we had some kind of an advantage mm-hmm. because we, you know, the, the national was held at high point, which is right up the road, or right. he owned the, the, he founded the Blackwater 100, which my brother won one year. He, he, he wanted it so that there could never be any fingers pointed and someone could say, oh, well, you know, Timmy Coombs won because, you know, it's their track. Right, right. He, he wanted people to roll in there and know that they had just as much of an opportunity on that racetrack as anyone else. There was, there's no local hot shoes in Hurricane Mills, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. There's, there's no one who has that track wired. I mean, over the years, if you continually qualify, you might get used to the system to some degree, but you know, bikes evolve, the track has evolved, but there was never a time where Timmy and I were allowed on the damn racetrack, which, mm-hmm. you know, when you're... 15 years old and trying to make it, you know, in motocross, you're like, yeah. Dad, please, <laughs> just one time. Right, right. But, but, but I can tell you one person who did get to ride on that track for about 20 minutes one day was uh, Davey Yezik. Oh, yeah? And, and the reason was Pete Fox invited me to shoot one of the Dream On ads in 1994, I think it was. Uh-huh. And uh, he said, just get a kid out there in Fox gear on the red lens, and if you shoot it, we'll put it in the calendar or whatever. And that's back when Robbie Raynard was just coming up, and and Ricky was coming up, and Johnny Marley. And mm-hmm. anyway, I, I I made this photo of Yezik uh, like the Monday before the race, like like a week before yeah. the Monday the before Monday, the yeah. race. Yeah. And um, it worked out really well. I, and that's the one guy that can say, hey, I I, I 
Road Loretta Lynn's. It was just the tabletop in the infield. That was it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, um, anyway, yeah, no, no, no advantages, and you know that goes back to that that fair and equal playing field. Don't think that I couldn't rent that track for a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's a good and, point. and I, I know right. that Colleen Millsaps and maybe the people at the GPF and different you know riding facilities around the country have versions of Loretta Lynn's mm-hmm. and sections of Loretta Lynn's or whatever. Hey, have at, but we ain't letting anyone rent Loretta Lynn's. Uh, and we, and not, not then, not now, not tomorrow. Uh, now, speaking of Loretta Lynn, like how much do you know her? How much does she had to do with it either in the beginning or now? Or, I mean, how much is she a part of this at all? Or at all? At all? She, she is. Uh, first of all, it was her husband, Mooney. Mooney. Yeah. Who was, uh, anyone who watched the movie, yeah. uh, they called him, in the movies, he was played by Tommy Lee Jones. But uh, uh, Mooney was a big fan of racing. And then Loretta had a daughter named Patsy who married one of the guys on our work crew uh, as soon as they met, like, in 1984. And to this day, Alan Bruto is still the ranch manager. Uh, Loretta has come not every year, but maybe every other year. She was there last year for the riders' meeting to Mm -hmm. give a special award. Uh, she did a concert a couple times. Oh, cool! Uh, she, she—you uh, never know when she's going to stop by. And one of my one of my favorite stories, and and I know it's probably Tim Cotter's favorite stories. We were out working on the track about a week before the event, and all of a sudden on the radio we get this: "Hey, uh, 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 they need a couple people to run this house. Sounds like an emergency. Uh, someone get over there." And mm-hmm. me and Tim jumped in a pickup truck and drove straight out there to her to her house. And she's standing there in front of the house, and we're thinking burglars or someone yeah. got hurt or what. And she's like, come on, come on, come on. We walk in, she she wanted us to pick her tomatoes because she was trying to get dinner ready. <laughs> so me and Tim, like, look at each other, and we just I, – I, I'm not much of a gardener, but we, yeah. for like an hour, we picked Loretta's tomatoes and put them in <laughs> baskets while she stood there and talked to us. And Very important. Um, and then she gave us a salad later, and that was it. Nice. Uh, so um, – Right from the start in 18, 1982, was it successful? Was it? Uh, uh, I, I think it to, to, to some extent it was. Yep. But you know, one of the things was again the, the the amateur national never really had a foothold like Ponca City or the World Mini mm-hmm. or you know back then the Mini O's were in Homosassa Springs, which is the old uh, chicken farm track. I mean, you, you knew where to go, and and uh, it was all over the map. And once. It got centralized, and then amateur racing itself started to change because instead of having these diamonds in the rough come out like Mark Barnett or David Bailey or uh, Todd Perkins or the, the Bigelow Brothers, which is, which is the way it used to be, suddenly there was this amateur institution known as Team Green, and, and, and they really got serious about amateur racing. And, and I think that if you were to draw you know, a mark on a, a, a century board, 1981, 1982s when everything in motocross changed. Mm-hmm. Amateur motocross kind of grew up, not only because of Loretta Lenz, but because of Team Green. And the United States sort of took over from Europe as like the real center of the motocross world, not because of, you know, necessarily winning the designations, but because Supercross was really gaining a foothold and, right. and teaching our guys how to ride. And plus, you know, we had Canada, too. Ah, well, yeah, thank you, thank you. <laughs> I wonder if a Canadian's ever won Loretta. We need to look into oh, that. Oh, yeah, Mike DeJager, I think, was the first one, though. Oh, yeah? 
to win Loretta's I'm sure there's been a few Canadian Cole, guys. I wonder if Cole Thompson. Oh, hey, Dean Wilson. Oh, wait, that's right. <laughs> Why do you got it? This, this podcast is over. Um, hey, so uh, uh, was, there, was there regionals and qualifiers that first year? Was that the yeah, system there, set up? It, yep. The first year was areas and regionals, yep. and it was, it, was a, it was a very loose-knit thing, but that, that, that was kind of the system that for was the, the old idea. Okay. program as well. And, um, again, what, what, I, I think that not only Team Green, but Yamaha had a pretty good presence in amateur motocross mm-hmm. at the time. They, they sponsored a team in Michigan called Team Dynamic, and from that team came Keith Bowen, the Bigelow brothers, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Mike Roth, uh, Jeff Spreeman, uh, Lisa Aiken-Wagner, uh, the Hinkle brothers, Connie Feist, I mean, you know, that whole yeah. group, Illinois, Michigan, Indiana. And, and, but that was it. You yeah. know, and, and every now and then someone like Denny Bentley would break out of there, or later on Jeff Stanton. But uh, Team Green sort of built a rivalry with Team Dynamic. Well, yeah, it was yeah, odd yeah. because yeah. it was this bike shop versus this factory. Uh-huh. But, but, but for some reason, Yamaha proper decided to send a kid that they had that, that, that they were grooming to be a professional rider. It, it was Ronnie Lachine. Mm-hmm. And uh, Dogger had already won Mammoth Mountain. And, you know, the word in cycle news was that he was as fast as anyone riding 125 nationals, even though he's 15. Right. And at that time, you had Mark Barnett, Jeff Ward, Johnny O'Mara, yeah. uh, Jim Gibson. I mean, there, there were some, you know, really, really fast guys. Right. Well, Lachine showed up at Loretta Lynn's and just laid the wood to all of us. In the first and, year. Um, the first year. The first yep. year, yeah. Yep. Just truly dominated. And then the next year, they, they you know, he was winning real supercross races. Right, right. <laughs> and, 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 you know, remember, Steve, these were the pre-125 supercross days, yeah. pre-lights supercross. So there, there really wasn't a way to get noticed. And, and that kind of changed beginning in first in 82 with Loretta Lynn's, you know, kind of gave people a better idea of, you know, of, you know what someone could do on a, on a one-off track. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then when 125 supercross started in 85, it, the system really changed. And, and because of that, you didn't wait till a guy made it as a pro. You started watching to see what he did on a mini bike, and yeah. that's where guys like Bradshaw and Titchener and so on and so forth came from. Uh, well, Lachine being a SoCal El Cajon hard pack kid, I would guess him going to Loretta's was a couple things. One, he proved he really was a badass, and two, he probably gave the event a little more credibility, right? Being sent all the way out from California to Tennessee. Yeah, he yep. he did, and you know he was his teammate at the time was John or Kite. Who, uh, why John or Kite didn't make it is, is beyond me. But, you know, those guys, you know, winning the A classes, being from California and, and battling with guys like Eddie Warren from Michigan and Keith Bowen from Michigan and Kevin Foley from Florida. I mean, that, that all kind of, uh, you know, we, that just didn't happen at some of those other amateur nationals that existed beforehand. And I think that's what, that's what really got it rolling. And then, you know, whenever Honda saw what not only Kawasaki but Yamaha was doing, they got involved with a big amateur team. So all of a sudden here's Jimmy Button and Larry Brooks and mm-hmm. uh, the Melton brothers and Rick Simmett. And, you know, these are guys, some of them would make it big and some of them would disappear. Mouse ah. McCoy, you know, and yeah. those guys were never really obligated to come back east for the AMA Amateur National. Mm-hmm. But Loretta Lynn's, you know, kind of changed that because it, it, it became sort of this this must-attend event because it was as much a, 
an industry festival as it was a just an amateur motocross race. Uh, always had bibs and always had different numbers from, from the day start? one. From day, from one. day one. Okay, so again, your and, dad's, and, and your dad's that goes idea. back to that that fair playing field right. and that equal. Everyone treated equal. You know, it wasn't like it is now, where you know a, a good kid on a Cobra can get you know wall to wall backing from Fox or Thor or whatever. And uh, because you'd be racing all week, remember, 42 riders a class mm-hmm. going by the finish line, and not just 42 people, but the 42 fastest kids. Yeah, it's hard to write a bunch of three-digit numbers down. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the primary reason is to give everyone a two-digit number. There mm-hmm. were a couple years in the 80s when they let guys use their pro-am numbers, and even when you know. 100s for A, 200s for B, 300s for Cs. That didn't work, and, yeah. and and it was really hard. So, yeah, you always had to wear a bib. And remember, everyone in the top ten gets a trophy, but for everyone else, that bib is the only trophy you got. But yeah. you know what? I can't tell you how many people I run into that say, man, I still got all my wow. bibs. My bibs are in my law office. My bibs are in my doctor's <laughs> office, you know. Yeah. Well, um, I, I know I got my bibs. I worked for and, Nick Way and, and Tim Ferry. They got their trophies uh, all in there wherever they're situated, along with their bibs. <laughs> you know, <laughs> nice. just just chilling on It'd the trophies. It'd be cool so. one day to, to do something in a magazine with uh, Tim Ferry. Do you know anyone who knows that guy? I'd no. love to get a hold of Tim Ferry and <laughs> talk to him doesn't about talk to me anymore. <laughs> like anything. Um, uh, yeah, you're right. It's just always been that way, and it's, it's another cool part of the event. But let me – when did you, obviously you were racing and you, well, then you moved into professional career a little bit. Uh, who can forget the KTM days? But Nobody. Nobody <laughs> can forget the KTM days because nobody knows about the KTM days. Uh, what, point, <laughs> what, what point do you think, and, I, and again, I don't know how, how much you were there because you were professional, but when did you say, wow, we got something. We, we, this is really something. Like, say the pits were the fullest or – the, the hottest um, riders were there. Well, when did I, I, I'll, I'll tell you, my my dad, you know, he was he was like the uh, he was like Gary Bailey, where he'd hit you on the knuckles if you didn't grab the brake or the clutch, <laughs> yeah, yeah. which I do believe was a great way to learn because I was one of those kids in those schools and and definitely keep my fingers on the clutch and the brake. My dad said, "Never look back. Don't ever look back. Don't look at what the other people are doing. Focus on what's in front of you, and and if you've done your work." Mm-hmm. It'll happen. And um, I've never been back to Ponca City just because my career uh, as a racer segued into college mm-hmm. instead of college. <laughs> you know, how do you, what's, college. how do you spell that? How do you spell that? <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and I, 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 you know, I went back to the Minios a couple of times. Yep. Um, I, I haven't been to, I haven't been to the World Mini Grand Prix since I was invited to be in the Race of Champions in 81, I think, mm-hmm. 80 or 81. I don't know how those other events are doing, and I'm sure they're doing fine, and I know that the, the springtime there's a crowded calendar with you know, the events in Alabama and Texas and, and now you know, the Daytona Amateur Supercross. And I, you know, there, there, there's, an, there's enough, there's enough uh, good promotions and good events to go around, but... We really just focus on Loretta Lynn's come summer. And uh, when did we knew it was going to work? Uh, the day my dad jogged around that place and <laughs> came back and yeah. said, I found it. Right. This is it. Um, yep. Um, what, what about getting uh, to the event and getting the OEMs on board? Everybody started sending their hot riders. It soon became, you know, like we said, the, the must race race of the summer. Was it always three 20-minute motos? Yes. 
Always? It was. Okay. Uh, it, it's actually, let me clarify, I think for peewees and for the novice riders, the sea riders, it's 15. Okay. But, uh, you know, it goes back to the idea that once you were there, once you qualified, right. the, the pressure, you know, if you're, if you're Adam Ciancerillo or Cooper Webb or Dakota Alex, the pressure's still there because you, you've got business to do. Right. But, but if you're that kid that, you know, loves to race and you're giving it a shot and, man, just making it to the main event, uh, that means you get to go down there and enjoy it and be, be a part of that week. And, and if things break the right way, maybe maybe you'll get discovered. Maybe things will work out. But the idea that you'd go there all the way there and be gone after the first day because you didn't make it, you know, out of the qualifiers or whatever, right. uh, that, that was hugely important. And, and so Dad, you know, said – once you're there, you're there, mm-hmm. and 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 if you didn't do well in one moto, you had two more, and and that's one of the reasons we came up with the idea of moto medals. We get a, a gold, a bronze, and a silver. Well, not in that order, but uh, <laughs> you get you get a medal after each moto if you're on the podium because that's something to really shoot for, you know. And you may DNF the first moto, and okay, you're not going to win the championship, but you, and you're not even going to probably get a trophy. But at least you could get one of those medals, you know. And mm-hmm. you know we have whole shot bonuses now, and, and and different little ways to to sort of you know reward the athletes and as they're out there. But but when it comes down to it, just the idea that you can go there and know that you're going to get more than enough time to to show how good you are, mm-hmm. or to get your fill of riding in, it, that's that's really significant to the success of the event. Yeah, I believe so too. When you talk to other OEMs and and the and the the managers and stuff in the heat in August, in in the humidity of Tennessee, three twenty minute motos, really lets you see who's going to be a great professional or who's not. I mean, it's it's a, it's a wonderful format that your dad uh, uh, set up for that, and it works out it works out well, I think. For future success, we've seen the guys now come in. But the, the question I have is, how'd you ever do there? Hey, guys, thanks for listening to the BTOsports.com RacerX podcast show. It's that time. Time for a commercial. Thanks for listening to the BTOsports.com podcast show. Please don't forget that BTO is the world leader in aftermarket motocross parts for the bike or body. You'll find deals like a Shoei VFXW helmet for $309.99, 45% off. Or Smith Piston Goggles for $32.99, 65% off. Your order can be shipped at anywhere in the USA for free. Or if you're not in the USA, we ship worldwide. Check it out at btosports.com. Or Timmy. Uh, uh, you know what? Timmy did better than I did, and, mm-hmm. and, and he did it with a caveat. Uh, there was... Uh, my brother got like fourth in a 500 national right. at Broome Tioga one year. He won the black car. He was he was an excellent rider. But in 1985, uh, Hurricane Frederick came through uh-huh. and made it a two moto format that oh, year yeah. because it was so unbelievably muddy. Uh, but the first two motos were dry. Well, I take it back. At least at least the first moto was dry. Yep. And Timmy Timmy went one one, and I think Tyson Bolin was second. And uh, it rained so much, Steve, but my dad was bound and determined that he was going to get three motos in that he literally went out and laid out another track <laughs> next to 
the track that's there now uh-huh. and put ribbon up and everything and, and said, all right, we're, everyone meet at noon. Uh, we're we're going to try and, and, and make a go of it. We're going to try and get this moto in. Yeah. And and he and, and my dad was an old woods rider. He could, he could do anything. He got on his YZ250 and literally made a lap around the track, as muddy as it could ever possibly <laughs> be. And he came in, the first guy he saw was uh, Tyson Boland's father. Mr. Uh-huh. Boland said, Dave, let's just get the hell out of here. We're he, done. He, We're <laughs> done. He's like, <laughs> he's like, I don't know about all these other people. He's like, but my kid, we're from Northern California. We ain't going to win in the mud. He's like, you guys, just let's, let's just go have a beer. Yeah. And that was it. <laughs> Dad's yeah. like, all right. All right. Yeah, and no one complained. And, uh, so Timmy won that year in the uh-huh. Pro-Am, Timmy Pro-Am. My best moto was I got, I got second, believe it or not, in, um, God, I think it was like 92. Uh, I actually got oh, you went third. Back. Okay. Yeah. I got third behind uh, uh, in the A class. Deegan got second, and Tony Amaradio, I think, oh. won. But then Deegan got disqualified because he was riding a modified bike. Yep. Uh, the, I don't know who, you know, I, I, went like, I went like 31, 29. Two. <laughs> yeah, and it was funny because I, I guarantee you I was in the beer tent the night before. I was like, right. uh, heck with this. I mean, I was I was a college graduate by then. I was too young for the vet class, so I just signed up for 125A and right. and had one great moto. And I was like, man, I thank my lucky stars and yeah. uh, never really uh, had another great moto there since. Uh, well, as we talked about, every rider, it's a who's who of come has come through there. I got a few questions about some guys. Uh, fastest riders you've ever seen there, uh, and I mean from Ron Lachine on, some of the fastest uh, guys. Number one, yeah. Wait, I'll tell you what. Let's do. I'll do it in reverse order. Okay. I'll give you my top ten. All right. And I'll tell you why. Because in the Loretta Lynn's program mm-hmm. that we just finished, I did who I thought were the thirty best riders that I've ever seen at Loretta Lynn's. Oh, okay. And, and by All that, right. I don't mean you know. Uh, what they went on to do later. Yeah, 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 but just what, that week. What right. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just got to find it on my computer. <laughs> tell me, please, God, tell me Tim Ferry's number one. No. <laughs> uh, no, Tim Ferry's up there, though. I'll give okay, you that. all right. I'll give you that. Uh, yeah, um, because you've seen them all. I, I, you know. Yeah, it's, it's, there's so many things on my computer right now, it's ridiculous. I know that number one, I'll do it the right way, number one, sorry, Ricky Carmichael fans, uh, James Stewart's the fastest 80 rider I ever saw in my life. Really? And the things that he did on the infield of the ranch when he was riding a KX80 or a big wheel were, were, were just astonishing. You, you knew that, that he was going to be mm-hmm. uh, something remarkable. Ricky would be a close second. Mm-hmm. And uh, my, my favorite story about RC was uh, I was watching him. He was battling with Charlie Bogart and Brock Sellers, and Scott Taylor was standing there with me, and, I'm like, yeah, but, dude, how good is he going to be on a big bike? Right. And Scott Taylor turns to me, and this is the pre-man friend days. Yeah. This is <laughs> Scott, who was working for AXO at the time. He turned and looked at me and said, that kid is going to break every record there's ever been known in motocross. Mark my words. And I just kind of laughed at yeah, him, yeah, but yeah, I yeah. remembered it. And he was right. And about once a year, I get to remind Scott Taylor that he was right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I got Ronnie Lachine third, uh, based on the yeah. fact that he was only there once. He's only, and, uh, he it was just, astonishing, though. Right. He, he probably just came out of nowhere. You guys were like, holy crap, right? Like, yep. just, yeah. And uh, I, 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 you know, I read MXA. I read, you know, 
Moto Cross Magazine. I read mm-hmm. Cycle News. I mean, I'd heard of Ronnie Lachine, and he came the year before to uh, Rolling Hills in North Carolina, and I actually beat him in, in one of the classes, but it rained. Okay. <laughs> uh, it was it was muddy, and and, uh, and we actually became friends. And and uh, Ronnie is coming as part of the 30th anniversary. We bought him a plane ticket and cool. asked him to to come back. He was our first real. Uh, star there. Yeah. Okay, number four, I got Kevin Windham. At one point, he won 18 motos in a row, which really? means yeah. he didn't lose a race for three years. Uh, Bradshaw, number five, like Carmichael, he probably threw away as many titles as he won. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I got Robbie Raynard, number six. Uh, had that kid not gotten broken up, we might be talking about McGrath in different terms. To me, he was. To me, he was the guy that I'm like this kid has got so much hype he's go, he's the first guy i remember being so hyped as a loretta lynn kid you know yeah and, and yeah. part of that was not only because of team green but because of uh fox racing yeah um and then i got i got your man tim ferry is seventh uh he was timmy was a real late bloomer but once he got on 125s he didn't lose for years like, oh, yeah? like he literally won every race for three years uh number eight I know he's got more titles than any of these other guys, but I got Michael Lessie. Mm-hmm. And uh, the reason he's not higher is because Mike won 11 titles over nine years. Yep. And he didn't really double up very often. And, and he didn't really, you know, he was never a dominant guy, but he, he was a smart rider. Very, very strategic, very uh, pragmatic in how mm-hmm. he approached it, but never really dominant. Right. And then round out my top ten, I got Danny Storbeck. Uh, oh, Storbeck was was a fast amateur. Yeah. Oh man, really? he he's the only guy to ever won three classes at Loretta Lynch. We tried that one year. He showed up in eighty uh, five. No, I'm sorry, eighty three. Nope. He won both the senior mini titles, and then the next year he won both schoolboy titles and the one twenty five expert. Oh, and okay. that's when we stopped doing letting you ride three classes. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was remarkably fast, and it's unfortunate the only thing people know him about, yeah. know of <laughs> Danny Storbeck, was that he had a collision with Ricky Johnson. Right, right. And then finally, number 10, I have Brian Swink. Swink, yeah, on 80s probably was what he was? Uh, 80s and 125s. Yeah. He, was, he was really, really fast. Um, okay, so we've covered those guys. Give me some of the guys that you for sure would have bet a lot of money on would have been successful pros. That, 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 that uh, one there. And uh, I think number one on my personal list yeah. would be uh, Greg Rand. Greg Rand, yeah. Yep. Kid out of, uh, fast kid out of uh, Ohio. Ohio, yep. a Suzuki rider. When you look at pictures of him, I look at Frank Coon's stuff from 92, and it's identical to pictures of Travis Pastrana in 96 and 97. Mm-hmm. He had the same style. He had the same look, the same technique. I mean, he was, he was fun to watch. And, uh, you know, he was like another kid named Eric McClear. Um, he was from Michigan. He was one of the last team dynamic guys. I don't know what 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 went wrong or what went sideways, but um, he just never made it. Um, Lowell Thompson was an oh, unbelievable yeah, yeah. Yamaha I, mini rider from Idaho. Idaho, right? Um, Eddie Hicks is uh, you know a, a yep. mini cycle folk hero because he was really good. And you know what's funny is if you watch the '85 Rose Bowl Supercross, mm-hmm. the one that Brooks wins, Brooks and wins, it, yep. Yep. yeah, yeah. And that, I think Eddie Hicks gets second or third in that race. Yeah, you know who worked for him his first year was Bob Oliver, his mechanic. Huh. All right, very first well, year. Yeah, well, he he. Um, I thought he'd make it, and he didn't. Mm-hmm. And then and then there were guys that I was always a little skeptical of, like Ben Riddle, you know, who who won a bunch of B classes, yeah. and I just never really saw that and thought, yeah, that guy's gonna 
you know, mm-hmm. be something else. Um, I, I always thought Ryan Morris got a, a, a bad deal. Uh, he was phenomenally fast as a kid, and uh, had he not broke his wrist like in the very first Supercross he ever entered, I think Morris uh, wins some titles in the early OOs. Yeah. And, and I just remember watching him at Loretta Lynn's and thinking, wow. And, and, the, and a guy I'll tell you right now that's over-impressed me is Trey Kennard. Yeah. Uh, I, I watched Trey at Loretta Lynn's. He's a team green rider for a while, and then Ziggy mm-hmm. snatched him up for Factory Connection. And at no point did I look at Trey like, oh, that guy's going to win the first three Supercrosses <laughs> he enters. Yeah, yeah. You know, that guy's going to win a national championship, you know, his third year right. or whatever. Uh, and, um, well, yeah, that's where I wanted to get to next. So, guys, I'm thinking that didn't you didn't impress at Loretta's, but Ke- Jeff Stanton. I mean, or was he was he? No, fast? he was good. Was Jeff he? Was, yeah. You got to remember the thing about Jeff. He was never that good on an 80 because he was a big kid. Right. Um, but, man, there was a year at Loretta Lens, maybe the greatest single championship of all time. Whoa, whoa. The 100cc championship in 1983 comes down to Donnie Schmidt, Fred Andrews, and Jeff Stan. Oh, jeez. And, and, and Schmidt and Andrews take each other out in the last turn, <laughs> and Stan wins. I mean, it was just, yeah. you know, it may, it may have been Stanton and Andrews take each other out, but yeah. every time I see Stan, we joke about it, you know. And, and I see, you know, Freddie went on to a, a great career in GNCC, and Donnie, you know, goes without saying, two-time world champion. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that that one race is one of the ones that really put the Reds on the map. And those kids were all from the East Coast, and yeah. and if it weren't for guys like Ronnie Lachine coming out from the West Coast and giving the event credibility right away, uh, events like that maybe would have been lost. Uh, uh, so, okay, so McGrath won the C-Class, which, and again, I don't know, I've only been there once, so I don't know how fast the C-Class is to watch. It's the best of the best, obviously, yeah. but, I mean, is that somebody? That was, that, was, that was one of the very first years of the C-Class. Okay. Now, it's funny you'd mention that, Steve, because this is, this is how fun my, my job can be sometimes. I've got a lot of stuff going on, like you said, but for some reason today, I decided to find out what Jeremy McGrath did the year he won okay. in 1987. Uh-huh. So I pulled out the 125 results, and right here it is. Let me find it. I actually put this as a trivia question on uh, the Vital MX board, but uh-huh. let me find it. Oh, I was just staring at it. Um, yeah. 125, hold on, 125C Novice. First place, number 52, Sun City, California, Yamaha. Jeremy McGrath, one, one, two. Those uh, were his moto finishes. Okay, yeah. So here's the cool thing: who beat Jeremy McGrath? I don't know. <laughs> well, that's, that's cool. <laughs> I don't either. And I looked at the name, and I was like, "No way!" I I'd never heard of the guy. So uh-huh. I'm not going to give the name up. But I I decided to Google him, and I still didn't come up with anything. So I Facebooked him, and there's a guy from the exact town with the exact name who went to Georgia Southern University. So I sent him a Facebook message, because if I find this guy, he's got to come to Loretta Lynch. <laughs> That's the guy. I don't want to talk to Jeremy. I want to talk to the guy that beat Jeremy and then went on to a career in you know, biochemics right. or um, whatever the heck he uh, did. So. For, forget about Washougal, setting up Washougal. Forget about the magazine deadline. Forget all of that. 
I'm going to find the guy who beat McGrath. <laughs> no, it's it, it's uh, it. I mean, I I'm, I'm multitasking. How's I know. That? No, I think it's after, funny. after what Chad Reed did on Saturday, and and to oh. get up and get back in the race, and to watch the thing explode virally, to to know that as we're speaking, it's on Scott Van Pelt's radio show. Uh, that it's been on Jim Rome, that it's been on CNN and all that. Sometimes my work is done before the race ever starts. <laughs> we just need something cool to happen. Right. And in that case, because, first of all, it was a great rider, and second of all, he got up and got back into uh-huh. it. The, the the thing went viral, and I, I'm, I'm working right now. Um, <laughs> so, so okay, so McGrath, Kennard, anybody else that went on to have a great – Pro career that you didn't see coming from the ranch? Uh, Mike Mike Kudrowski, Kudrowski, maybe more so yeah. than anyone. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. He was an underrated pro for sure. You know. Yeah, he was. You know, and you you have to remember in the context of the situation. And he raced four nationals in '88 because you could ride pro am and do Loretta Lynn's. Right. And he just didn't do that well. And for some reason, somebody at Honda, and I think it was Dave Arnold, gave him that B support ride along with uh, Larry Ward, mm-hmm. to ride behind, you know, uh, Jean-Michel Bale, or not Jean-Michel Bale, uh, George Holland Cooper and Guy yep. Cooper. Yep. And he went from fourth at Loretta Lynn's to winning the next year's 125 National Championship over Bradshaw and all those guys. I, I, and then he won three more national titles. It was a Team USA hero, yeah. many supercrosses. I would say Mike Kudrowski is the best late bloomer of the Loretta Lynn's year. Guys like Doug Henry and John Dowd really didn't do Loretta Lens, although I did have Henry's results here earlier. He raced it a couple times. It just didn't do very well. But yeah. Kudrowski went from nothing to Honda Factory Rider National Champion. Faster than you can say, Mike Kudrowski. Uh, any races stick out in your mind? Individual races? Ones that just went down to the end or just two guys went at it tooth and nail anything i mean i know there's so many but man I, yeah it's yeah. it's uh, i can remember a year when davy yezik and scott sheik uh-huh. were just wheel to wheel in every moto in the a classes and uh, i remember feeling bad for for davy because the year before it was ferry that beat him in every moto mm-hmm. you know and uh, i don't feel bad at all uh, yeah <laughs> and uh, I can remember there was a year when Hayden Richards and um, uh, Shane Lawson, a friend of mine from Pittsburgh, had some mm-hmm. great races. Uh, for the mini bikes, though, I think the Buddy Antonez Brian Swink battles oh, yeah, yeah. of the late '80s were were extraordinary. I mean, those guys were so into it. And then, um, man, Ernesto Fonseca and Travis Pastrana yeah. had some hellacious battles. And you know, Ernesto is always one of my favorite stories because he was the only one in his family who could speak English. And, <laughs> I mean, like from the time he was 10. Yeah, yeah, he was, the, he was running yeah, they, the family. <laughs> they'd come over, and the BSY Yamaha guys would help, and Scott Taylor would help out. And, and uh, you know, he would be doing the hotel rooms, the sign-up, the rules, <laughs> you know, whatever, and the dad would just stand there and smile. And Ernesto just did everything. And it was right. it was remarkable to see what a solid, grounded kid he was compared to, you know, some of the other kids, you know, throwing eggs and water balloons yeah, and yeah. whatever. <laughs> and and the only person I've ever seen since that reminds me of Ernesto is, is Ken Roxon. Oh, yeah. Um, Roxon showed up a couple years ago, yeah, three years ago. Same thing as folks didn't speak English. He was so polished, so cool, uh, and then just got completely smoked. Oh, he did? And, really? Oh, <laughs> dude, he, was, he was riding the B class, and... and 
guys like uh, Tomac and Barsha and them, they just hammered them. Now, it wasn't Tomac. It was, uh, was Barsha. And the reason was, though, that there is no home track advantage at Loretta's, but once you grow up there, once you're Davey Millsaps, you've gone yeah. there a dozen times, yeah. or you're Mike Alessi, you know, you kind of get used to the system. Right. And you, you, you don't feel so nervous, and you kind of remember the lines you use. And, you know, it's a, it's a, you know, I talked to Don Maeda about this when he came and covered it for Transworld, mm-hmm. and I talked to Bio about it, and I'm like, you know, you can train all you want out in California, but until you get here, you're, you have no idea <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, yeah. How, how strange the track is and how weird the pressure is and what it's like to stand under the, the awning with 42 other guys and have to draw a number and line up on the outside or the inside yeah. or the middle. You yeah. know, it, uh, It's really hard to get used to it. And, and poor Kenny, K-Rock was lost out there, and Todd Hicks and uh, – Jeff Cernick and those guys kept trying to calm him down, but he he was just overwhelmed by it. Uh, how six, cool is that? Yeah, then? six months later he wins a GP. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, how didn't co- see that coming, but but now I'm I'm convinced that that you know like Marvin Muskin, when he's healthy, uh, he will immediately be a threat uh, in any race he rides next year here in America. Yeah, nothing says. Um you know, how important it is, then even Porcells come over, Roxon's come over. These guys are coming from Europe to race Loretta Lids, you know? Yeah, because, Tommy Searle yeah. was there. Oh, Searle, uh, too, yeah. And, and you yeah. know, the, 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 the good thing is, Steve, and it goes back to that the, the founding principles, there is no qualifier in Europe. There is no regional in Japan. Yeah. it's This is the U.S., the AMA Amateur National Motocross Championship. If you want to participate, you come and ride an area qualifier like every other kid, and you come and ride a regional. And that's why I'm not racing this year. I, I didn't have time to do my areas. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. My, my sister-in-law, Jessica, her last name is Coombs. She did not get to race because she was pregnant. And she went, <laughs> to, my, she went to my mom, and she's like, Rita, I'm having Big Dave's grandbaby. I can't have the baby and still make it to my area qualifier. And my mom said, tell your story to somebody else. <laughs> 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 and we didn't let her race. And... Um, uh, it's so it's so cutthroat and in, 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 in a fun way down there. We can't even have an industry race anymore because guys were literally coming for the no, industry. No, I, I did it. I did it in '98, and I lined I, up. And Dement's there. Dement's on the line. Renard's yeah. on the line. I'm like, what is going on here? The Honda it, Houston it, guys let me borrow it, it, a bike. I was just yeah. Yeah, it just that, it, but, but that's what happens when you get down there and you're with all your people and all yeah. your friends and, and 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 you're on that track and I just think the adrenaline kicks in. So anyway. That's what happens to Ken Roxon the first time he's there. That's what happens to Don Maeda the first time he's there. Right. That's what happens to, to you know, any of those guys. And, and it, it takes a while to learn the system, but, but that, you know, it's like being in the playoffs for the first time. You know, there, there are people who know how to handle themselves and people who don't. Uh, and, and, and it comes with experience. Biggest controversies. What, what do you remember? What? Like obviously, there's stock and mods classes, and and there's and Pingree got disqualified, which is a funny story in itself. Uh, the, 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 the Pingree Pingree trying to talk his way out of getting disqualified <laughs> for taking that kid out, uh, uh, not realizing that my dad had the videotape behind his back, <laughs> and he's and he, like, "Tell me this again. What happened? Uh, I, I I didn't know he was there. I just kind of went outside. And, you know, really." Yeah. Dad's like, let, let, and it was like, let, let's let's look, and he popped the thing in the videotape, and Pat Alexander, you could just see him shrink, <laughs> and and Pingree like, and just like, w- w- what's this? And my dad's like, well, it turns out that uh, Randy Yoho videotaped it. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> and uh, when they showed it, Ping Ping looked at this kid 
four times before he drilled them. <laughs> and then and then Ping just basically said, "Well, Mr. Coombs, you got me." And just the way he did it was like right. I was like, "I'm gonna hire that kid one day." Yeah, yeah. Um, that's, that's pretty smooth. Do you remember anything else that stuck out that was, uh, you know, just uh, you just it just turned into you know the biggest deal. You know, there, there, there always is. Yeah. Some, there's always some deal. There's always some protest. I, I can remember uh, Malcolm Stewart getting disqualified one year, mm-hmm. and the reason was, and I'm sure that um, there's a reason that it worked out this way. I'm not even going to wander into that territory. But Malcolm's, Malcolm would have won, but he fell over. Uh-huh. His, his Y-Zinger didn't shut off. The and the rule thing. is, you have to have a your 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 kill switch, oh, okay. the automatic. Yep. When you drop the bike, the motor turns off. Yep. And uh, he got protested, and it was right in front of everyone. And they took the seat off, and sure enough, the wires weren't connected. And um, man, that caused a giant really? controversy. Oh. But you know, the philosophy at the Red Lens is always, hey, if you live by the rules yeah. and you die by the rules, you never have to feel bad. Right. So no matter how mad Mr. Stewart was or the, the sponsors or whatever, mm-hmm. that was it. You know, we all laughed about it later, but right. I can remember it being pretty heated Yeah, yeah, a couple times. The reason I and, asked um, that is because Tony – I was talk, I was stuck with Tony Leslie in Denver for a couple hours. We had a layover, and he was telling me some of the stories. That he got protested, you know, like five times, and he got to keep all the money. They always passed everything. Yeah, but, yeah, um, but I, 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 I had to disqualify Mike one time. Because oh, you did? Uh, yeah, it was uh, his riding coach at the time was Kurt Henriksen, mm-hmm. and Kurt, you know, was a fantastic rider back in the day. Great promoter now, and uh, he was helping the Alessi boys. And and Mike got stuck in the mud, and Kurt happened to be on the infield as right. a promoter, not as an industry person. And he helped pull Mike's bike out of the mud. And I'm, and I'm actually standing there taking photos. And I put the camera down. And I'm like, Kurt, I got really bad news. <laughs> <laughs> What? No, I was like, you're you're not allowed to help him. He goes, well, why not? <laughs> I said, because you're not allowed. You're, yeah. If you're on the infield, can't help anybody. You can't help someone unless they're hurt. And he's like, well, all I did is help him get unstuck. I'm like, no, I mean, I... so I had to disqualify the promoter of the NMA Grand Nationals rider yeah. for getting outside assistance. And of course, Tony went ballistic. Yeah, really mad. <laughs> but Tony, my favorite Tony Alessi story, yes, did please, not please. involve <laughs> Loretta Lynn's per se, but. One year at Ponca City, Tony protested Adam Chatfield, and Chatfield got second behind. What? Yeah. He protested him because Chatfield got the whole shot. And Tony was like, there's no way that bike is faster than our bike. There's no way. So he protested him, and it made Mr. Chatfield so mad did at Loretta Lynn's, which had a claiming rule, they claimed Alessi's bike. Oh, I remember just, that. Just to spite him. And I remember Tony being like, I don't care, I don't care. You know, I was like, it, it, was, it, was, it was funny, but it was sad, but it was, you know, it was, it was, right. it was a sign of how big a business yeah. amateur motocross can be for some people. Uh, what about the vet classes? Uh, I know you got those all straight. You feel like that system's working. I know there was a lot of... You know, guys like Fro and Barnett and uh, guys were coming back because they enjoyed the event and they wanted to race it, but it maybe got a little bit too fast, right, for some guys? Well, you know, it's weird. Motocross motocross is a niche sport. And for a while there, there were guys uh, who never really rode pro, sort of found a niche for themselves riding 
in the vet classes right. at Loretta Lynn's. Guys like Robbie Neely, uh, guy like Steve Lewis, um, guy like Kevin Walker. They uh, they they really found a way to to ride and 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 kind of be the top older amateur because right. you know they worked at a bike shop or they were just really good or whatever. And uh, but along came and the first guy to do it, believe it or not, was Tony DiStefano, a retired pro. Oh, he really. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Tony D showed up, and, and Robbie Neely beat him, like in 85. Okay. <laughs> but but what, do you, what do you do with Tony DiStefano? He, he won three titles. He was a former factory rider, three-time national motocross champion. But he hadn't raced pro in years. You can't say, no, you're, you're not allowed to be here because you won a championship or you had a pro card or whatever. You know, if you never – if you play in the major leagues in baseball or if you're Gordie Howe in hockey – who says you can't go back and yeah. play senior senior hockey? Right, right. You know, and 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 the funny thing is, the same guys that they beat when they were in their teens, they're beating in their forties and fifties. Yeah, it's like and speed, speed guys, never. You know, it, it's yeah. unfortunate, but it's it's the way it works. You know, the 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 rule is you can't have ridden a pro race within one year of when you ride amateur, mm-hmm. and unfortunately. A very good friend of mine got caught up in that this year. And uh, Ryan Hughes um, qualified for the VET plus 35 class, but he raced the GP last year. And oh, the yeah. rules pretty yeah. clearly say if you rode MX1 or MX2 uh, and a GP, you can't race. And Ryan thought it said if you qualify, but they didn't have enough people qualify at the USGP, so it didn't matter. Oh. It yeah. did matter. Yeah. And, and uh that was not a pleasant phone call. You know, <laughs> yeah. One of my best friends, man. dude. Sorry. Um, well, I I think it's as a fan, I'm into the vet classes because it is stacked. It is the, the vet A or the vet pro or whatever. It's cool that these guys come back, and it hasn't happened in the last few years. But for a while there, there there looked to be some great racing. It was yeah, like there a, was, but yeah. there wasn't. There were guys like Keith Bowen and right. and uh, uh, John Gruy from from Michigan and. Uh, you know, Doug Dubach, you know, Matt Tedder had a, a pro license at one point. You you can't, you know, you don't get faster as you get older. That Believe me, that stops right about the time you're, oh, I was 21. You know, <laughs> actually, hell, I was probably 16. But yeah. the point is that, 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 you know, you can't say, oh, you had a pro license in 1985 or you won a national championship three years ago. You're Jeff Emig. Wh- whatever the case is. Yeah. If you're not a pro now, that makes you an amateur in motocross. Mm-hmm. And and while people would love to, you know, separate those guys from the pack, where else are they going to ride? Yeah. You know, the the the. I know there's some there's some good fun vet rider events like the the White Brothers event they do out at Glen Helen, which looks like a lot of fun, and uh, the 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 you know, motocross of nations or whatever they call that thing in England that, right. that you know, Burner and some of those guys are going to do this year. Scott Burnsworth, the original Burner. Yeah. Um, but Loretta Lynn's, we, we like having those guys there and only because it, it really is a sort of a melting pot for motocross, whether you're a kid on the way up or a guy on the way out mm-hmm. uh, or a guy just likes to race with his kids and you both want to qualify like John and Eli Tomac did. And I think John Dowd, it, did his son make it this year? I don't even know, but I think that was his plan. Uh, or it's coming in. I know that John himself uh, didn't qualify because he, he did 
He could. Uh, yeah, oh, he's forty five yeah. now. But he he's out for next year too because he got points at uh, Millville this year. Yeah, and he'll no doubt get points at Southwick, and that's awesome. You know, guys like John Dowd don't need that Redlands title, and I don't know that Doug Dubach does, but you'll never find a guy who loves motocross at age. 50 as much as Doug Dubach or Matt Tedder mm-hmm. or some of those guys. And, and, and that's, that's what Loretta Lenz is about. It's not about, you know, this, this idea, Steve, that, that we're like the Olympics and no kid can, you know, earn any sponsorship or get any money. No, it doesn't work like that. This is a motorsport, no different than go-kart racing or bicycle racing or anything. You know, yeah. it's impossible to separate people who are sponsored or people who used to have a pro license from people that never had a pro license. If you're all 44 years old, what difference does it make? Yeah, I know. I, I'm with you. It, it's unfortunate that it gets to be that serious. I guess that's a testament to the event that it's that serious. You guys put on such a good event, and it means so much that people take it that seriously. But I'm with you. It's just a, you know. Well, the, the, yeah. the, 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 the industry wanted an event like this, there, and, 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 and I think that there, there, there are other Big amateur events that the industry needs. I don't know if we need 15 or 20 or whatever. I mean, there there was a there was a while there where one was popping up everywhere. Mm-hmm. But but you know now that I think we're out of we're coming out of this recession. Now that I think that uh, you can look at the 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 professional motocross tour. Hey, we're seven for seven. Crowds are up. Television numbers are way up. Uh, we got all the best athletes back out there. Sands won. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, hopefully he'll come back someday. But if he doesn't, we're just going to keep working hard until he does. Chad Reed flying through the air. He got everything. <laughs> we have Chad Reed flying through the air. Uh, the the funny thing is, and I, I don't really mean to break the hearts of any of your listeners in Europe, but that uh, Chad Reed to the GPs rumor. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, well, you know, Reedy likes to have fun himself on that Twitter. He's, he's certainly embraced. I, yeah, it. I know, but man, there's some people who took that hook line sinker and uh they, 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 didn't, they didn't put question marks in it it was just happening uh, it was done deal <laughs> yeah I, I didn't know that he was going to quit outdoor motocross and supercross and take that ride but right. oh well uh um, well hey th- but anyway my, my yeah. point is that we, you know i think that we as an industry are going things are going really well uh, i i've been watching all the races in europe obviously all the races here in the states we all followed an incredibly great supercross season that the people with feld put on and uh, I, I, I hope that uh, on the ground at local motorcycle dealerships around the country and at bike shops, uh, that the, the dial is starting to move forward again because it, it sure feels like it, and, and it feels good to have the Rattlelands be part of it. Yeah, no, fantastic. Uh, like I said, uh, thanks for coming on. I know I know you're busy, and I wanted to get. The, I really wanted to talk about this event. I feel like I have a better hold of it now. I kind of know what what happened, what went on, and uh, and it's an incredibly successful event. And like you said. I think the secret is because there there is no favors, there is no there's no runoffs, there's no qualifying. Everybody there is the best of the best, and and, and let the gates fall. And I think that's the secret behind it, you know. So and it, it, if you if you you know I know you could go into all the corny cliche time with if you build it they will come and blah blah blah. But the Redlands is a very consistent program. Mm-hmm. You know there 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 are no surprises when you get there. Uh, the system works, you know, like clockwork. You know, you know, knock, knock on wood. Stands bad weather. Yeah. Um, you know, or, and or other, you know, some other misfortune. And and we've just learned to, to to let the riders be the stars. Let let the track separate the herd. Let the 
the industry, you know, look and see and find who they want and let families have a good time there. There's, mm-hmm. there's, there's stuff to do at every given moment, whether you're a racer or not. And um, hey, one last thing that I, I, I meant to tell you this earlier. Some kid named Corey Fuller from Oregon dropped a note to Dan at MX Sports and said, hey, um, I was telling my buddies that I raced the 65 class one year, and I'm just trying to figure out who else was in there, and I swear that RC was in my class. Uh-huh. So we went and dug out the results from the 1989 65cc <laughs> stock 7 to 11 class. Yeah. And uh, indeed, Corey Fuller got sixth. Uh, a kid named Ricky Carmichael got fourth but but check this out 33rd place clint boyer <laughs> of, of nascar <laughs> whatever, whatever happened to that guy 30, 38th place justin buckaloo uh and my favorite shea bentley got ninth and then my absolute favorite one the winner of that class none other than mr rev up himself andy uh. boyer Andy dominating Clint. <laughs> and Ricky. And, and Ricky. Brock Sellards yeah. and Buckaloo and Shea Bentley and everyone. And Corey Fuller. That's, just, that's what makes Loretta so good right there. Oh, yeah. And it's, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hire somebody to digitize all these results. Um, right. We got all the PDFs and everything like that. You but should. Make, a, Man, yeah. make a data bank that people can go through and find their own results and, and go back and find their moto scores. And it's going to take away from the opportunity to exaggerate that, that right, uh, right, right. all these people have. But unless, unless you're a certain fellow from Georgia who raced the 125C novice class in 1987, there's only one person that can say they beat Jeremy McCraft yeah. in the novice class at Loretta Lynn's. And that guy's going to be able to go to the internet and prove it. And prove it exactly. Yeah, <laughs> good, good times. That's funny. I hope that guy gets back to you. That will be a funny story. I'll, uh, I'll let you know. And I, I don't want to give his name out yeah. cause I, you know, d- until we found him. But I think, I think it's him. Oh, but, that's uh, we'll, funny. We'll see. And, uh, All and right. We'll do two. We'll do two tries. Jeremy McGrath and. <laughs> Mitch Cumstein, yeah, or whatever yeah, Exactly. <laughs> right on. Well, hey, Davey, thank you for coming on the BTOsports.com RacerX podcast, and uh, good luck on the ranch down there. No worries. Thank you. I appreciate it. Congratulations to all the riders and families who uh, who made it. And uh, sorry again, Rhino, for having to DQ you. I know you're never going to look at me in the same. But... <laughs> it had to be done. <laughs> thank you. All right, Steve. I'll see you at the races, see man. This has been the Racer X Podcast with Steve Mathis. Search Pulp MX in the iTunes Store to enjoy the more than 250 episode archive, including the Classics Collection where it all began.